Heavenly Father, it is such a privilege that we can come here today and hear your voice contained in the pages of the Bible before us. Lord, we pray that you may help us to understand what it says. May it convict us and convince us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. May we be able to see wonderful things in your word tonight, uh, today as we look into it, and we pray that it may be helpful to us. Lord, we pray for any uh, people who are here this morning and are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you may open their hearts this morning and may they be convicted about their sinfulness and put their trust in Jesus for the first time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I always liked knives as a teenager, as a little boy. I had a bit of a collection going of knives, and I even used to stand out in the backyard and throw my knives, practice throwing uh, knives, because, of course, that's what you see they do in the movies. And, of course, whatever they do in the movies should be tried at home. And so I used to try throwing knives, and I think very, very rarely was I ever able to get a knife blade to connect with a tree trunk and actually stay in. Most times it would be the handle that would bang up against it, and I broke many handles, uh, throwing them quite vigorously at trees. Uh, But yes, I had this real fascination with knives and had the collection of them going. Um, That fascination with knives has dwindled uh, with particular physical knives, but a fascination with one knife in particular has grown, and that is the knife that is the Word of God. And that's what I want to look at this morning, is the knife that is the Word of God. We've been working slowly through uh, Hebrews chapter 4. It's been very difficult going, uh, particularly for me. It's a very difficult part of Scripture, and so it's taken me a lot more time than usual each week to prepare sermons for it, as we've been looking at the subject of rest from Hebrews chapter 4. And so that's what the whole passage has been about, is that we need to enter into God's rest. And we need to enter into God's rest by listening to the voice of God and not hardening our hearts towards it. And so there's been this regular quote, it's even been there in chapter 3, which is closely connected, of course, with chapter 4, this quote from Psalm 95 that has come out again and again. So you see it um, back in in chapter 3, verse 15. uh, Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And then in chapter 4, verse 3, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's that quote from from Psalm 95. And then we saw it even in chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You need to listen to God's voice and not harden your hearts. And this has been coming again and again in this passage. We shouldn't harden our hearts. We should believe in God and not harden our hearts. And so as this has been going on, one of the questions that may have arisen in your mind may be, is God's voice all that powerful after all? Is his word that powerful. I mean, it seems like that quote from Psalm 95 that keeps coming back, it seems like you can harden your hearts against God's word, which means that how, how strong is God's word after all? If you can harden your hearts and you have to be exhorted again and again, don't harden your hearts, soften your hearts, believe in God, then it seems that when God's word comes up against humanity, it always is sort of second best, that you actually have the power over God's word. You can harden your heart up against it. 
And so that's why I think verse 12 then comes in. Some people think verse 12 is very detached from the rest of Hebrews chapter 4. But I think it fits in perfectly because the subject has been about the voice of God declaring the rest of God and that you need to enter into that rest of God. The voice of God has been proclaimed again and again there. And so then verse 12 comes in and tells us something about God's word. And it tells us that God's word is a knife. It is a knife. It is a sharp knife. And so that's what I want to look at this morning as we look into Hebrews chapter 4 and we're just concentrating on verse 12. So I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible there, to have it open before you. And it's page 1186 as we look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. And I want us to look at three things in particular that this passage, that this verse, verse 12, tells us about the Word of God. And I actually want to take them in reverse order from what they are in the passage. It seems a bit confusing, but it seemed to me that that was a good way to uh, run through the, the, serv- the sermon, that we'll take them in reverse order. And so the first thing I want us to look at, this Word of God, is the function of the Word of God. What does it actually do? What is the function of the Word of God? If you've got a church bulletin there, you can see my main points on the back there. And so that leads my, to my, my first main point this morning. The knife of God judges. The knife of God judges. That is its function, to judge. And it's there in verse 12. Verse 12 reads, For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See that last sentence? It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God, the knife of God, judges. And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What does it mean to judge something? Well, we have judges in our land, and what do they do? They decide what is right and wrong, who is right and who is wrong. That is their job, is to decide what is right and what is wrong. And that is what the Bible does when it judges. It judges whether something is right and whether something is wrong, and particularly in the heart. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, whether they are right thoughts and attitudes or whether they're wrong thoughts and attitudes. And that's not easy to do. To judge whether something is right and wrong is difficult to do. You see that in your own life. When you do something, you sometimes afterwards you're plagued with guilt and you go, did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? Was I right in saying that to so-and-so? And you're plagued by whether something is right and something is wrong. You know you're supposed to do the right thing and then you're plagued by the case of whether you did the right thing. You're not quite sure whether you were right or whether you were wrong. And you see it in other people that they have difficulty with this because they're very slow to judge other people. Some people are quick to judge others, but some people are very careful about making any judgment about anyone else and saying that you did the wrong thing, or particularly that word sin, they really don't like that, that you don't tell anyone that what they did is sinful. You don't tell others that what they're doing is right or wrong. How judgmental of you if you do that. Was not supposed to be judgmental. It's very difficult to judge others and to say something is right and something is wrong. But the word of God is not afraid to judge people as right or wrong, to judge the heart and its attitudes and its thoughts as right or wrong. No, the scripture says it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is not afraid to do such things and it can do it. 
But why this focus on judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart? Why does the author focus on the heart here? Well, it's because the heart is where all actions end up coming from. What does Jesus say in Matthew 15, 19? He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. It's out of the heart that our actions come. And so, what is the author doing? He's getting to the heart of the issue. He's getting to the heart of the matter. We have that expression. When you want to get to something, you get to the heart. What is, where does all right and wrong come from in someone's life? From their heart. It comes from the heart. And so, he gets to the heart of the issue by saying the word of God, where does it go? Where does it judge? It judges the heart. It judges those thoughts and attitudes in the heart. And so this is what we see happen as people read the Bible. They see that things that they thought were okay, the Bible comes along and suddenly says, no, it judges and says you're doing the wrong thing. Particularly with popular sins in our society that people don't think that there's any problem with. With things like gluttony, lust, modesty, gossip. Everybody loves a good gossip. It's not that big and that's not harmful. But the Bible comes along and says gossip's wrong. Hatred. It's okay to hate certain things, hate certain people. It can't do any harm. Coarse joking. Pride. It's good to have good self-esteem, to motivate yourself and think you're wonderful. Believe in yourself. The Bible comes along and says, no. Man's problem is pride. You need to humble yourself. Drunkenness, homosexuality, other forms of sexual immorality, the Bible comes along and our society says it's all okay. What's done between two consenting adults, no one else can judge. But the Bible comes along and says no. And it judges. And it says that something is right and something is wrong. And ultimately the Bible comes along and gets to the root of the human problem where all things, all those sins come from. And it tells us, and we've been seeing it again and again as we've been looking at this chapter in Hebrews, that it's unbelief that is the heart of human problems. <coughs> unbelief in God. When people don't believe in God, that's when sin happens. That's where we start to see in people's lives this rebellion against God because they don't believe he is there for many people or they believe God is there, but he's not the all-powerful, holy God. Every time someone sins, they're doubting that God is all-powerful, meaning he can get them and judge them for what they're doing, and he is holy. They're doubting that they're going against God. It's unbelief. And the Bible comes in and says man's problem is unbelief. And we've seen that again and again in this passage. Even just back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Unbelief is man's problem, and the Bible comes in and tells us that. The rest of society is not really going to tell you that, that your problem is unbelief in God. But the Bible does. It comes in and judges your heart and shows you your unbelief and your need to believe in God. So that's the function of the word. The function is to judge our hearts. That's what it does as a knife. But how well does the word judge? How well does God's knife cut? 
That brings me to my second main point this morning. The knife of God judges well. The knife of God judges well. If the word of God were a knife, the author of Hebrews says, it would be sharper than any double-edged sword. Let's read that in verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is very sharp. It does its job very well. It's not like a, a knife that uh, the word of God doesn't come along and judge and doesn't do it very well. It doesn't judge properly. No, it judges very properly. And it can divide what does it say? Penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It comes in and looks at our soul and spirit and says, good desire, bad desire. It gets to the heart of the matter. And it also says they're dividing joints and marrow. And I think what the author is trying to do is say it judges the spirit, it judges your soul, And it also judges what you do with your body. It judges the entirety of you, what you do in your thoughts and what you do with your body. It divides everything. It is saying, yes, this is right. Yes, this is wrong for everything. Everything you do, whether it be in your mind or with your body, the Bible has an opinion on it. The Bible has a judgment to make about it. With the Bible, everything is black and white. There is no in-between unrighteousness and righteousness. There is no in-between holiness and unholiness. There's no middle path. The Bible has an opinion about everything that you do. It penetrates even into dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is very sharp. It comes in and has an opinion about everything that you do. So the function of the Bible, the knife of God, is to judge. And it does it extremely well. There is no doubt about it. It is so sharp. But what does the knife of God produce then? Does it produce anything in all its labours? It divides right and wrong. It tells you what is right and wrong. But does it produce, does it have any effect out of all its judgments? Is it like a judge in a court who makes lots of judgments, but then there's no penalties? There's no release for someone that may be a prisoner and has been said to be innocent. Is there any result that comes from this word of God? Well, the knife of God is not a knife that simply hangs in the rack over a mantle and doesn't get used. No, it does produce results. It does get used. And that's my third main point this morning. The knife of God produces results. The knife of God produces results. And we see this in verse 12 at the beginning. You can see how I've been working slowly through, backwards through the verse. We've seen that it judges, and we've seen that it judges well. And at the beginning, what does it say in verse 12? For the word of God is living and active. Two things. One is, it's alive. What is something that is alive doing? It's doing stuff. Dead things don't do anything. Living things do stuff. They get used. And so the author of Hebrews is telling us is that the word of God works. It is working away. And what else? The word of God is living and active. Now the word active there, you might think, oh, it's just another way of saying it's living, it's alive. It can also be translated effective. It brings about effects. It produces results. 
And that is indeed what the word of God does. It produces results. And that other passage that we had read before from Isaiah 55 tells us the same thing. Isaiah 55 verse 10 said, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, bread for the eater, so as the rain and snow come down and produce effects, as they are active, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It always has results. It never returns to God empty, just as the rain coming down always has a result. If it falls on the grass, well, that's nice, the grass grows. And if you're a farmer, you really like that rain. If it falls on the pavements in Dremoyne, it washes the pavements, keeps them nice and clean. It achieves a result. Sometimes I look around and if it hasn't rained for a while and you see the dirt that's accumulating on stuff, then the rain comes and it glistens afterwards. The place looks a bit cleaner. The rain produces results and it's the same with the word of God. When it goes out, when people hear God's voice, it always is effective. It's always producing results. What are the effects of the knife of God? How does it produce results? When God sends it out, it never returns to him empty. What is the result that happens as the knife comes into people's lives, into their hearts, and cuts them up? What happens as they are judged, as their thoughts and attitudes are judged? Well, there's two results. First is the word of God produces eternal life. It produces eternal life. Just like a surgeon's knife cuts into people and can cut off a gangrenous limb and preserve someone's life by cutting, by violence being done to the person, the same thing happens with the Bible, but on a far greater scale. It cuts into someone's life and cuts the sin out of them so that they don't just have increased temporal life as a surgeon's knife does. A surgeon, you can be the greatest surgeon in the world, you can cut off all kinds of bits off someone, but eventually that person's going to die. But the knife of God, when it cuts into people, it gives them eternal life. They live forever as a result of the cutting of God's word. And it comes in and cuts into them and gives them that eternal life. How can you tell if the Bible, as you hear it, as the voice of God comes out, how can you tell if it's giving you eternal life? Well, if it produces two effects. One effect is repentance. As it comes in and shows you your sin, judges a thought and attitude as wrong, if you turn in repentance, that's a sign that God is giving eternal life as his word cuts into you. What is repentance? It's a sorrow for your sin and a turning away from it. As God's word, as you read in there, do not gossip. And you go, I'm sorry, God, I've gossiped many times. And I try not to do it again. When the workmates gather around that water cooler, I'm going to stay at my desk and work. I'm not going to gossip. That's repentance. That's a turning away from sin. That's sign that the word of God is bringing the effect of eternal life in your, in your heart. The other result is, the other way you can see if the word of God is bringing life is by faith, repentance and faith. Can you see when the Bible cuts into you and judges an attitude 
that you then trust in Jesus for forgiveness of that sin. When the Bible says that you have been lusting and it is wrong, do you then confess that sin and trust that Jesus has forgiven it? If you do, then that's a sign that the Bible is producing that result of eternal life in you. If you see repentance and faith, eternal life is happening there. And so the Bible is bringing about eternal life if you see those things happening in your life. And you should be looking for those things to be happening. But what is the other result of God's word? One is it brings eternal life. If it... If you share the gospel with someone, if you share the Bible with someone and they don't respond with repentance and faith, has the Bible been a failure? Has it not been active? Has it not been effective? No, the Bible can produce another result. And what is that? It can produce eternal damnation. It can produce eternal condemnation as people hear the gospel and then reject it. Just as a knife A physical knife can be used to end someone's life or prolong it like a surgeon uses it. So a knife, the knife of God, can produce condemnation for someone for eternity. As people hear the word of God, they can become hardened to it. As the author has been warning again and again in this passage, don't be hardened to the voice of God. But if people are hardened to that voice of God, they are eternally condemned and do not enter God's rest. The word, when it goes out, Sometimes it softens hearts, sometimes it hardens hearts. And that's what Isaiah 6, 9 and 10 is talking about when God says to Isaiah, he says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, they're hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart, he's telling Isaiah, make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Sometimes when the word goes out, its job in God's wisdom is to harden people's hearts, not soften them. But it still has an effect. It's an effect of hardening on the person. How can you tell if hardening is happening when you hear the voice of God? Well, there's a lack of repentance. As you hear a sin proclaimed and you see it in your own heart and you don't repent of it, you're being hardened by the word. Next time the word comes and tells you about that, that sin, you're going to be a little slower to have any sort of guilt about sinning that again, about doing that sin again. Just as I see you know, certain commands with my children work the first few times, or certain voice tones work the first few times, but then they ignore it once, and then it gets easier to ignore it again and again. And it's the same with God's word. As it comes with its commands, if it hardens, if you're hardened to it the first time, it gets easier and easier to ignore it later on, and you're becoming harder and harder towards it. So if you don't see repentance, and if you don't see faith in Jesus, as you learn about a particular sin, from the word as it cuts into your heart and you see it and then you don't trust that Jesus died for you. You don't see a need for Jesus to have died for you. Then that's an indication, that's a very strong indication that you are being hardened and being eternally condemned and never entering God's rest as a result of God's word cutting your heart. So the word of God isn't weak. 
as you might suppose from reading Psalm 95 quoted in this passage, that you can harden your heart against it. No, it is powerful and effective. It produces results. It is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It can save life. It can condemn people for eternity as people hear the voice of God. It isn't weak at all. And so you can never say that when you proclaim the gospel, when someone has heard the Bible, it has returned empty to God. No, it always has a result. So the word of God is effective. The word of God has a function of judging the hearts and it does it very well. So what are you to do with the word of God? That brings me to my fourth main point, the last one this morning. Use the knife of God. Use the knife of God. The word of God is the most powerful weapon of the Christian and so you should use it. How? Firstly, you need to obtain it. Get a copy of the word. Get a couple of copies. Get a couple of different versions as well. So you can compare versions. And if you're really keen, learn some Greek and Hebrew. Leave Aramaic. I haven't done any Aramaic. But um, you can probably put that off. If you're a real expert, then you can do some Aramaic. But uh, Greek and Hebrew, if you're really keen, get stuck into them. Get into the Word of God. And don't just have copies. Get them into you. Read them. Read them daily. Read the Bible each day. You should be reading it. Memorize the Scripture. Scripture memorization isn't for kids in Sunday school, just for kids in Sunday school. It is for kids in Sunday school as well. But it isn't just for them. We as adults, you can't say, oh, I forget stuff. Try and memorize the Scripture. Get it into you. And make sure you go along to places where you hear the word preached, where you hear the word explained, where you hear the word studied. Get access to the word. It is powerful stuff. You need to access it. And then you need to use it on yourself, firstly. Use it on yourself. Allow the word of God to judge you. Ask God to reveal the sin in your heart with his knife, his scalpel. Lord, cut into my heart and show me where I need to repent and where I need to trust in Jesus for my sins. Show me. And then as those things are being shown to you, repent anew. Trust in Jesus again. Beg for God's forgiveness for the sins that he has revealed to you that you have been committing. Use God's word on yourself. And if you're not a Christian, I beg of you, listen to what the word says. You are a sinner. And you are in great danger if you do not repent of your sins. Say you're sorry to God and turn from them and trust that Jesus has forgiven you. Allow it to impact you. Do not harden your heart to the word, but instead be open to the word and repent and believe in Jesus. And then once you've got the word, once you've used it on yourself, then use it on other people as well. Use the word on other people. Use the word to judge others. Now they're going to not always be too happy about that. When you come along and say to someone, what you're doing is wrong, and they say, why? And you say, well, it's because the Bible says so. They're not always happy to hear that. People, as I said before, don't like people coming along and judging them. They don't like what they call judgmentalism. But you need to use this on them. You need to reveal to them that they are sinners, that they've committed sin again and again and again. 
I've had friends that say, I'm not a sinner, Joel. But they are. And I need to show them from the word. Not that I am coming along and saying, you're a sinner. But that the word is coming along and saying they're a sinner. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible for trying to work out what is right and wrong in my own life and the lives of those around me. I need God's word to help me. I need God's word to judge what is right and wrong because it's the only one that can decide. And so that's what you should be saying to others. You should say, do you know the Bible says that what you're doing is wrong? Do you know that the Bible says that your belief that always go to God is wrong? That the Bible actually says that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Quote the scriptures to them and then encourage them to repent and believe. Encourage them to do those things that are the life-giving work, the eternal life-giving work of repentance and faith in someone's life. Judge others. But even if you don't see that repentance and faith coming through, still do it. Still tell people what God has to say about their lives. And God's word doesn't return to him empty. It may harden people, but you've still been faithful and use the word of God when you should. So use the word of God to judge others. Judge yourself first, but then judge others. Are you using the word of God? Are you making sure you have access to it and then watching and encouraging it to divide your heart and responding with repentance and faith as it judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart as right and wrong, as you see those wrong thoughts and attitudes, as you see those wrong behaviours in your life, do you come before your God in repentance and believe that Jesus Christ died for those sins that the Word has so kindly revealed to you? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word and we thank you that it does judge what is right and wrong and it judges what is right and wrong so well. It cuts so deep, it cuts to the heart. And Lord, we thank you that when it judges, it is not without effect, that it is living and active and it produces softening and eternal life in some lives, but we also see that it produces hardening and eternal condemnation for eternity in hell. Lord, we do pray that we may put ourselves under the knife, under your knife, your word, submit to it, and when it reveals to us our sinfulness, we pray that we may repent and we may believe that Jesus Christ died for those sins that your word has so kindly revealed to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.